Another Way to Play, episode 49. This is Joel Hallbaker, founder of Real Life Leading, speaker and author. And if you want to learn to make the next chapter of your life better than the last, then you should be listening to Another Way to Play with my friend, Hans Struzina. Welcome to Another Way to Play, your wake-up call to finally make a difference by creating a life defined by freedom. This is about entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and industry professionals that have left the 9-to-5 rat race behind by taking that personal leap from where they were to where they want to be. It's time to stop going through the motions, stop hitting the snooze button on your life, and get the insight and inspiration to make the next chapter of your life better than your last. This is Another Way to Play with your host, Hans Struzina. This is Another Way to Play. I am your host, Hans Struzina, and I believe that if you trade hours for dollars, you will never achieve true freedom in your life. Today's guest is a gentleman by the name of Joel W. Habacher. He's a real-life leader, professional speaker, author, and award-winning teacher, coach, and husband, and father. I'm really excited to bring uh, Joel to you guys because uh, he's not our typical guest, uh, though he is a lot of the things entrepreneurial in that title that um, would suggest he is. Uh, he's got a very different story. He talks about um, still being a teacher and, and a mentor for students at, in a small school in Alabama where he works, um, but he also talks about his entrepreneurial ventures and, and how he has written a book um, specifically how he did it in the spare time, the small moments, as he puts it, uh, that are in between your day-to-day life and how he maximized those uh, to full effect, Um, but how he's now sold enough copies that he can frankly give it away. He's not looking to make tons and tons of money, but really help people. And I think that there's a lot of value in what he has to say, because as a teacher, he Uh, has to be very productive with his time. As he tells his students, he always looks for what is your screen time, what are you wasting time on that you could be doing something productive with. Uh, He's got some really great and practical advice around um, using the small moments like what he used to, to write his book, as well as to get other things done in his life like spend time with his family, work on his business, book speaking engagements, and the like. So there's a lot of practicality in this one coming from someone who's doing it and not just talking about it. Uh, Before we get into the interview, I want to invite you to, to go down to the show notes and uh, look on uh, look out for my Calendly link uh, because I'd love to connect with you personally, get to know you a little bit better and just uh, have a conversation around the show, how it can make it better and just anything you're curious about. I'm an open book. I'd love to connect with you. And if you're getting value out of this or any of the other episodes, head over to iTunes, leave me a quick rating and review. It'd mean the world to me, really helps me grow and helps the podcast get in front of more people with the algorithm. So Uh, Without any further ado, we're going to go ahead and bring on Joel Habacher. Joel, man, thank you so much for being on the show. Really excited to have you on today. Yeah, thank you. I'm excited about talking with you as well and uh, always glad for the opportunity to be able to share a bit of my story and try to inspire others through that. So thank you. Well, let's let's do that today. But before we get into kind of what you're doing now, let's let's back it up a little bit and see, uh, see about where your story began. Where did you come from? How did your journey begin? I'm from small town Alabama, which is back where I live now as well. And uh, my story really kind of begins there. Uh, I was uh, so I'm the middle child of three, uh, and with all the character traits that go along with that. And um, my parents divorced when I was in middle school, 
and that that plays a big role in in what I do now. Um, I'm also divorced and remarried. I've got two kids of my own, uh, two daughters that are about to be 13 and 16. And uh, so a lot of my story uh, revolves around kind of my family. Like I said, my, my parents split up when I was in middle school and my brother moved out and actually went to a boarding school. And so within about a six month period at age 13, I went from being the youngest guy in the house to being the only guy in the house. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that definitely shaped uh, a bit of my, um, uh, my drive and it shaped a bit of my desire to just get things done and figure out how to get them done, even if it's not something that I maybe should have known how to do or would have known how to do, uh, because those expectations are just, that's just what happens when, when you're the only guy in the house and there's certain things that need to be fixed or need to be handled. And so that, that became a formative part of my character. The other aspect of that that I mentioned is that uh, I am divorced and remarried. I got married for the first time when I was 19. I was halfway through college and um, married a girl that I'd been dating for a little bit over a year, but I'd known her since I was about 14. And we were married for eight and a half years. We have two girls together and we divorced about a decade ago and uh, I've been remarried now for about five and a half years, but we all still live in the same tiny town in Alabama. Uh, She lives about a mile and a half from me. My ex-wife does. She's been remarried for six years. She's got another son with her second husband. And, um, and so my two girls have a little brother at their mom's house. And again, all of those things factor into uh, what I do for a living now. And they also factor into who I am as a, as a man, as a husband, as a father. Um, so when I was in college, what I had originally wanted to do was to be a lawyer. And I realized it probably was going to be less fun in real life than it sounded like in John Grisham novels. Mm-hmm. And, and so what I realized my real passion was, was for history. So that was my major in college. And I've, I've actually been a history teacher um, for most of my adult life. This is my 14th year in the classroom. That's my, that's my day job. And I love that. And it also, that comes out in everything else that I do, whether it's the speaking or the coaching, or the writing, uh, the, you know, a lot of what I do is both, um, I give examples from history, but more importantly, I like to examine people's history to help them see how their own pasts have helped inform where they are now, and I think a lot of that obviously comes from my mentality of, of being trained as a historian. That's what I do, is I examine the past to help understand the present, and help get a better understanding of what the future looks like. Um, and so that's a big part of my story as well in terms of, uh, in terms of studying history and, and getting to do that for a living. Today, a lot of what I do involves teaching leadership, which again was something I had to learn at a very young age. Uh, it involves working with blended families because again, I've been through a divorce as a, as a child and I've been through divorce as a parent with two kids and I have a, a heart to try to help those people. Uh, and the other thing I do is I, I write a lot because when you're studying history, like that's what you do. You read and you write and that's, that's yep. a big part of it. So all of those passions really come together and I feel very blessed to get to do things that I would choose to do anyway. And that's something I'm really thankful for. Thank you for all of that background because it builds a lot more context. And for those of you listening and your regular listeners, listeners to the shows, you can tell you know, Joel is not necessarily our typical guest, but one of the reasons I wanted to bring him on was because he's uh, an, an experience and he's turned you know, some of his experiences into something more than just a day job and just a way mm-hmm. of life. He's like, he's talking about, he, write, he reads, writes, speaks a lot on topics that not only affected him personally, but um, are areas where he clearly has a passion and it and it's through that story that I want to hopefully unpack some value for all of you guys. So in that vein, uh, Joel, tell me, how did you decide to make that into something more than just a career? Like you obviously had 
the the teaching aspect through mm-hmm. your history and your your formal education but like where does the sort of the entrepreneurial side of this relative to writing and stages mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff come in it was interesting. My wife and I were talking a few years ago, and obviously, like, I have a heart to help other people. That's part of why I became a teacher, as I, I love seeing the aha moments on a kid's face. But we also had a question. We were talking a couple years ago about how how we could impact more people than just the ones who happen to be in my classroom, because I teach at a relatively small private Christian school here in Alabama, and my class sizes are smaller, so um, 15 to 25 as opposed to you know 25 to 35, like when I taught in a public school. And so what we wanted to do is figure out how we could make an impact on more people. And the obvious answer was to, to be in front of more people. So we started looking into what it would be like for me to get into the world of public speaking, right? And then professional speaking. And, and so about two, I guess two and a half years ago now, started looking into speaking at various conferences, uh, speaking at different leadership events or church events or family conferences. Um, you know, and so since then I've spoken at, Uh, colleges and universities, conferences, corporate gigs, uh, leadership retreats, church retreats, whatever it may be. But all of that came from this idea, this desire to help more people at a time. Same kind of thing with writing because, uh, again, one of the ways to get my message out is to share it. But the problem with that is I can only share it with the people that are in front of me at that moment. With With a book, I can get it out to you know, a lot more people. And so um, I wrote a book and uh, self-published that about a year, year and a half ago. And I've been really blessed because we sold enough copies to pay for the book. And then I've been able to just give away a lot more copies. And that's been great too. Because again, the, the point of the book was not to make me a millionaire. The point of the book was to try to help pre- people and help encourage people in terms of how how they lead and work with others. And so it was really great to be able to just give that away. That's something that I tell people and I would offer this to your listeners as well. If any of you guys are interested in my book, if you'll email me or connect with me on social media, let me know you're interested. I'll send you a free PDF copy of the book. Like you're welcome to it because that's just my gift to, to you. I want you to have it if you want it and I don't want cost to be an issue. Um, and so that's something I love doing. It was also, it was fun because as a, I was a history teacher and I was a soccer coach and, uh, and in addition to all these other things, I, I played college soccer and, and I've been coaching ever since I stopped playing uh, that when I first got married at age 19. Um, and so I don't have a lot of free time. I have an hour and a half commute every day round trip to and from where I teach. So it's 45 minutes each direction. So I actually wrote most of the book in my car. And what I mean by that is I would outline it, you know, I'd outline a chapter or a, a part of a chapter and write it on a three by five card. And I actually had my father's old miniature cassette recorder, like double A battery powered cassette recorder. Yeah, yeah. And I would just hold it in my lap while I was driving down the highway on my way to school every morning. And so it was, that was one of those cool lessons that I learned in terms of if you really want to get something done, you'll find a way to get it done. You'll find a time of day to make that work. And so that was part of what writing a book was for me was just learning, okay, where do I have pockets of time that I can make this work? That was one of the big questions about if I'm going to be an entrepreneur, where am I going to find the time to do this? And the answer was in the little moments. So whether it was getting up a little bit earlier before school or whether it was in the, in the time that I have in the car making phone calls or uh, writing a book, like that's, if that's when I have to do extra work, okay, great. Well, that's when we're going to get the work done. And so that's something that uh, I've been very thankful to learn that I like to share with other entrepreneurs is if you're really interested in making something happen, look for those little mo- You don't have to block off three hours. Look for 15 minutes or 10 minutes a day that you can really commit to one particular activity. 
And if you can do 10 minutes a day each day of the week, that's an hour a week that you've just gotten something useful, focused, constructive done. And that'll add up over the long term. That's really, really well said, man. And, and thank you for bringing that story up because I was going to I was going to lead us there anyways, but um, <laughs> I can totally have this vision of like, you had this little card, you like threw it on your dashboard or you just looked at it before you drove and then you just hit record and yep. you started talking, I bet. Yeah. And it's, and, and out of that effort, you know, it was clearly focused effort, but out of mm-hmm. that effort was, was a book that is now sold enough copies to, to pay for itself and, and handle all the costs associated with that. I mean, mm-hmm. I, there's a huge lesson there for any of us, regardless of what industry or what, what passion we're pursuing of, of finding those, as you say, those little moments, those 10, 15, 20 minutes a day that you can just commit to something and just get after it because we all have those. It's just identifying yeah. them and making use of them. Absolutely. It is. And uh, it was, it was really fun. I would, I would outline, like I said, a chapter, a part of a chapter on a three by five card. I would kind of tape it to my steering wheel so I could glance down at it. And like I, I was just talking while I drove. And then what would happen is I would come home and either my wife or myself would then type up whatever was on that cassette tape. And that became the rough draft of the book. And then during the official school break, so Thanksgiving, Christmas, spring break, that's when I would actually go back and do the revisions. That's when I would go back and do uh, cleaning it up and, and making it look good. And then, you know, getting a book cover design and getting the formatting done. And so I had the rough draft done and then it was just those little pockets. And so we published it right uh, at the beginning of summer a couple years ago, I guess, like I said, a year and a half ago now uh, when we're recording this. And so it was, it was just a neat way to, to do exactly like I encourage others to do. And like you said, find the little pockets, commit to something specific during those pockets and then get some work done. Uh, because yeah, we, we all have 10 or 15 minutes a day somewhere. It may be riding a subway. It may be driving a car. It may be waiting in line somewhere, but it's, it's, you have some time where you can get something done. You know, my students don't like to hear this, but a lot of them complain that they're too busy or they don't have time to do homework. And I would just, I challenge it with one question. Here's my question. And I would, I would, I would give this to entrepreneurs as well. What's your screen time? What's your screen time? That's the challenging question I have because if you look at the little app on your phone that shows you how much time you spent on your phone, I guarantee mm-hmm. you could find 10 or 15 minutes a day that you didn't have to be on social media or you didn't have to be checking the news or checking. For me, it's checking soccer scores or mm-hmm. checking out basketball highlights. I'm a big Duke basketball fan, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 10 or 15 minutes a day, I didn't have to be reading up on whatever it is that Coach K has done differently with his defense this year. You know what I mean? Those things aren't helping move my business forward. They're fun and they're entertaining. But the question, and again, this is the question that I ask people to help them focus. What are you willing to give up in the short term for the sake of a longer term that's going to be more beneficial? What are you willing to give up in the short term for a long-term gain, right? So for me, one of the things I've done recently is gone trying to lose some weight. Am I willing to give up dessert four nights a week in order to be healthier for the next 10, 15, 20, 30 years of my life? Am I willing to give up 10 minutes of reading about Duke basketball in order to move my business forward, right? Am I willing to give up 20 minutes of playing Mario Kart on the Wii in order to, you know, contact more people about speaking events? Whatever it is, what are you willing to give up in the short term that's going to help you to a bigger benefit in the long term? And again, that's a question that's good for entrepreneurs to be willing to ask. Are you, are you willing to give up whatever TV show it is that you binge watch for an hour a night, two or three nights a week? You know what I mean? That kind of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What are you willing to give up for the sake of something bigger? 
Man, really well said. Thank you. Thank you for those illustrations as well as for the concept because I, I wholeheartedly agree with it. And what's interesting is when you start to do those 10 or 20 minute activities and give something up, it's small in the beginning, but mm -hmm. then you start to get some little wins and yep. then that gets a little bit addictive. And then before you know it, you have to take a break from work. Otherwise, <laughs> you need your 20 minutes of Duke basketball or whatever. That's right. To, to like stay, stay yep. uh, balanced or, or yep. what have you. But it also helps you prioritize because, again, I, I, find that, I find that there's a lot of things I can waste time on that aren't actually even that important to me. I'm just wasting mm. time on them. And so if I, if I occupy my time better, then in the free time that I do have, like you said, you got to have some downtime. But now in the downtime, I'm spending it doing things I actually enjoy rather than just killing time off because I have the time to kill. You know, one of the things that I think is – interesting with your story you, you talked about you know you're a history teacher you got the small mm -hmm. town you you've left and come back um you know you've had a, a variety of experiences and and i would imagine if someone's listening to this in a similar situation they're a high school or a, an elementary teacher of some kind mm -hmm. uh they're at a smaller school but and they have these ideas or these dreams about you know speaking or writing a book or whatever and they're like yeah yeah that's great but you clearly had some high level of you know intelligence or some grand plan or something going on here but i think a lot of us regardless of what we're going for you know f fall into this category of having imposter syndrome and mm. i and i think your yep. story is kind of it, it triggers that for me only because you know it's like small town teacher writes this book and goes on national speaking tour it's like you had to have had these moments of like holy crap what am i actually doing here can you talk about that and, and how you kind of worked <laughs> through that for yourself? Because I think, I think that's a really valuable lesson um, that I, I would love to hear your opinion on. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Imposter syndrome is a very real thing. And I've heard a couple of different takes on it. One of them that I really enjoyed. Um, and I, I, uh, I want to say it was Chris Brogan, who I heard share this on a podcast a couple of years ago. He was talking about how his biggest critic is his own brain like almost every if i'm and i hope I, I hope i do him justice here he said right before he goes on stage almost every time his inner critic is telling him you're gonna bomb you're not any good at this i can't believe anybody would pay to hear you talk and he basically has decided what he's gonna do is look at that that kind of inner dialogue that's criticizing himself and just look at it and say thank you very much and then kind of give it the middle finger and then go on stage because he uses that as a kind of reverse motivation you know what i mean like, you know, I'm sure anybody who reads um, stories about athletes, you read about whether it was uh, Kobe Bryant, who just recently passed away tragically, mm -hmm. or Michael Jordan, or LeBron James, these super competitive basketball players, they would use any kind of criticism, real or imagined, as motivation to prove their doubters wrong. And so that's one take on the imposter syndrome is when you start to have that self-doubt, you can look at it and go, yeah, but I'm going to prove that I'm not an imposter. And so you can use it that way. The other way, and this is more the way I approach it, because even though I'm hyper competitive, I was, I didn't really use that kind of thing to fuel me. Mine was much more of a, if I am in doubt about why I'm here, I need to ask myself what it was that got me here. That is, it's not an accident that I'm on this big stage at a national convention, or it's not an accident that I'm speaking to this group of high schoolers or college kids or church leaders or, you know, CEO and management of this company, whatever it may be, um, it's not an accident. They chose me for a reason. So the question is, what, what is it that I have that they were looking for, right? Because there's gobs of speakers out there. There's gobs of authors and coaches out there. What was it about me? And that's what I need to remember because they chose me for a reason for their group. And so all I need to do 
is provide what they asked me to provide because I'm not there for me. I'm there for them anyway. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's not about me anymore. So the, the way to get past the imposter syndrome for me was to remind myself what it is that I'm doing there. And the answer to that is to serve them, mm-hmm. right? They asked me to serve them. I'm there to serve them. I'm going to do the best that I can. And that's all that I can do. And so for me, a big part of that was, was realizing that kind of mind sh- mindset shift. Uh, because again, yeah, I, I've certainly, I, I've, I've questioned myself sometimes. Uh, again, I am, I'm, I'm a guy from Nowheresville, Alabama. What, what right do I have to be on this giant stage at a national convention? You know what I mean? What right do yeah. I have to be talking to kids at a, you know, a huge well-known university or whatever it may be? But I had the same issues when I was in college. Uh, I, had a, I was very blessed. I had a college scholarship that paid for me to go and study abroad for a semester at Oxford University in England, right? So mm-hmm. I got to go study medieval civilizations at one of the oldest, most prestigious universities in the entire world. Again, I'm, I'm, an, I'm a guy who went to a high school that graduated a class of 12. Wow. What, what right do I have to, you know, to be able to go to England and study at a place like that? I don't know, but they chose me. And so when I'm there, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to do the best that I can do to try to prove that I belong. And, and that's all I can do. And it's the same kind of thing now. So whether it's speaking, writing, teaching, coaching, my job is just to do the best that I can do. And in doing that, prove that I'm not an imposter, whether it's to the inner voice or to any outer kind of criticizers or doubters that I may have, I'm going to do the best that I can. And that's all that I can do. And if you approve of that, great. And if you don't approve of that, that's okay. I'm, you know what I mean? Ultimately, um, I'm not, I'm not here to try to impress any one person. What I'm here to do is to serve whatever audience has hired me. And, and slightly, you know, part of it is to make the event organizer look good. (laughs) Whoever it was that actually hired me, I I, want to do a good job by them. As long as I do that, I'm not worried about the criticism. Not that I can't learn from it, but that's not what I'm going to focus on. You know, if I, if I get 97 feedback cards and 92 of them are positive, I'm not going to worry about the other five. I'll look at them. I'll learn what I can from them, but I'm not going to take the opinion of five people over the opinion of 92 people. That doesn't make any sense. That's, that's well said, man. I, as a lot of the the listeners know, I've joined this year, I've joined a mastermind mm-hmm. uh, with a, with about 20 or 19 other entrepreneurs who are all in all different areas of business and stages of life. Some are married, some are single, some are older, some are, you know, younger, whatever. Mm -hmm. And we had a call, we had our first retreat uh, last weekend in, in late January. So probably a while ago by the time this actually comes out, but I got on the call, the first call after the retreat. And I talked about like some takeaways and some challenges I was having just a couple days after. And Long story mm-hmm. short is I was feeling that imposter syndrome as to what it was I was trying to turn this business into. Mm-hmm. And about six or seven people out of the 20 spoke up and basically helped me realize that I was seeing myself differently than literally everybody else in the group was seeing myself. And, Good. It, and it sort of forced me to look in this mirror of mm-hmm. like, yo, like you, this, is that, that is, this is more an insecurity about you than anybody mm-hmm. else, a potential client, a colleague, a boss, anybody. This has way more to do with you than it does with anybody else. And, you know, I think that it forced me to kind of get like what you said, get real with like what has, what gives me the right, you know, internally to, to mm-hmm. be in this position or to offer this product or the service or whatever, and really focus on that serving those people, as you said, yep. and then, um, and then letting the rest go. And I, I, I love the way that you articulated it with, um, how, what got me here? Why did they ask me here? How can mm-hmm. I then 
you know, make them look good or, or, or help them and, and make their life a little bit better. So yeah. Uh, thank yeah, you for well, bringing all that up. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad to hear that story about your mastermind. That's wonderful. That, that's what they're there for, right? It's mutual encouragement and inspiration and some feedback from like-minded people, even if they're in a very different uh, niche than you are, very different business, but they're all of a similar mindset in terms of wanting to grow and wanting to serve and wanting to help. Um, it's, it, I love that you said that too, because that's actually in my book. That's how I define leadership. Leadership is the art of positively influencing other people to help them become better versions of themselves. Mm-hmm. So whatever leader, whatever role we're in, that's either leadership or it's training for future leadership. And so what my question is, what I'm, what I'm always asking myself is, what can I do to help the people that I'm around right now become better at whatever they're trying to do? So if it's coaching soccer, how can I become, how can I help them become better people through the game of soccer? Not, not just how can I help them become better soccer players? Because I coach mostly high school kids. If all I ever taught them was how to kick a ball, I wasted their time because that's not how they're going to pay their bills. That's not who, that's not who they're going to be most of their life. And so, you know, in my home, it's how can I help my wife become the person she, that, that God created her to be? How can I help my kids become the, the people that, that God intends for them to be? My students, how can I help them become better people through teaching them history or Bible or whatever class I happen to have them for? Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's all about is trying to serve other people by helping them become better versions of themselves. So I love that you're part of a group that's interested in doing that yeah. same thing, because a large part of that, like you said, too, is how do you help other people see themselves more clearly? Because one of the things that most people are really bad at is accurate self-assessment or accurate self-reflection. And, and that's something you see all the time. You see people take personality tests and they read it and they go, wow, I never would have known that about myself. But yeah, I guess that makes sense, you know, mm-hmm. and it's really interesting because you, you, you see this and, and you discover something about yourself that anyone who's hung out with you for 10 minutes, they could have picked up on that in the 10 minutes, but you've known yourself for decades and you had no idea that you were that way, you know, um, and it's amazing how that happens, but that's why we need to surround ourselves with people who are willing to, to be truthful with us whether it's positive or negative, and we need to be willing to hear that kind of feedback. I've been reading, rereading a book, or actually rather listening in on audio right now, mm-hmm. called The Inner Game of Tennis. And one of the guys in the mastermind recommended it to me, and I realized okay. I had listened to it years ago. But it's talking about basically the, the way that this one tennis pro started to coach people effectively on how to improve their swing. Mm-hmm. And long story short, is he is making the case that most people have sort of a general awareness of, in this case, the tennis um, swing, you know, where the racket is, where the ball is. Like if you, if they just kind of clear their head, lose the judgment and then let the, let their body sort of feel it and try and play with the natural reactions of what's, what's possible, you know, generally they do better. And Mm. he, he has created a coaching style around sort of allowing people to reflect and think about, you know, where the tennis racket is in space relative Mm. to the ball and where their feet are. And, you know, rather than being like, you know, lower your racket, raise your wrist, you know, all of that (laughs) kind of stuff. Cause that generally speaking, that kind of coaching as you you can probably relate to as a, as a soccer coach and me as an athlete as well, you know, that kind of coaching, it just tenses you up and then then it forces (laughs) you to think about your wrist when all the rest of everything else has totally gone away. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I I love that idea of working on the the mental aspect of it, but also helping make people comfortable because that was part of what you alluded to as well as getting rid of some of the stress or the tension or the nervousness about I've got to get this technique exactly right. 
It's no, you just, you just gotta let it go. You, you know how to do it. And so that's, again, that's part of what I teach, uh, whether it's leaders or, or blended families is focusing on creating a positive environment. Um, because I, I tell people all the time, if you take care of relationships, the results will take care of themselves whether that relationship is you and your own brain or you and the people around you, right? If you'll take care of relationships, the results will take care of themselves. If, if my soccer players know that I care about them, they're going to work harder for me. And mm -hmm. so I don't have to do nearly as much of the minute coaching because they're already doing it, right? right. But they're, they'll put in the extra effort that will make them really good. Same thing in the classroom, same thing in a family, right? And yeah. so what I need to focus on is how to make people, uh, how to help people feel comfortable with what they are doing and then have self-belief because then they're going to perform better, which is uh, again, kind of similar to what you were describing with that tennis coach. I, I love that idea of helping people break down some of the maybe mental barriers that they've erected for themselves. And, and as you were even just talking there, like I'm, I'm reminded of what I've learned just experientially as well as through the book. And one of the things that I'm, I'm struck by and I'm really sort of thinking about in my own head is like suspension of ju judgment, especially mm -hmm. when it comes to, you know, like a relationship. When you label something as either good or bad, <laughs> there's, we have like built in mechanisms yeah. around like what, what that means about us and all of the actions that we've done and like what led us there. Oh, you know, I have a bad relationship with this person. That must mean I'm a bad friend, which means I'm a bad person. Right. And right. it just kind of spirals. But if you sort of suspend judgment, not only and just see it for what it is, like we are at this place, that's neither good nor bad. Um, you know, my stroke, my tennis, my tennis, uh, swing is at this point, I'm, I'm at this level in the club. That's, that is what it is. That's where I'm at. Mm -hmm. And then it gives you the opportunity to address things and fix them as is necessary, as opposed to right. you know, so locked up around the meaning of whatever it is. And I'm sure you, you experienced that with your coaching and, and speaking and, and all the stuff that you're doing right now. Yeah, it's good. But I love that you mentioned that about suspending judgment and trying to do things without having to label them good or bad. Right. So instead of that, one of the things that I try to do with my students or my athletes is look at what they did and say, okay, I see what you're trying to do. Now, let's maybe change it here and let's see what the result looks like. Because mm -hmm. I didn't say this was good or this was bad. I said, okay, here's mm -hmm. what you did. Here's what I want you to maybe change. And then let's look at the end result and see if that has also changed. Cause mm -hmm. like you said, it's, it's free of judgment. It's looking at where things are. I love the phrase you use. My sister uses it all the time too, where she says it is what it is. Um, and that's what, yeah, this is where we are. Okay, good. So let's move forward from there instead of having to label it good or bad necessarily. It is what it is. Let's take it forward. Right. Cause we, we've all got to start somewhere, whether that's in life or in business, we mm -hmm. we've all got to, we got to, we got to play with the cards that we're dealt. And we got to do the best with them that we can. Again, if you can do that without judgment, you are more likely to make progress because you're not so caught up in, is this good or is this bad or how is this making me look or whatever. It's just, here's where I am. How do I get to where I want to be? Let's take one more step today. And yep. Let's take one more step tomorrow. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good reminder as well. Well said. And, and, and that's a really, really hard thing to do, for, especially for those <laughs> of us involved in sports to any yep. degree, because- yep. I mean, everything's an instant judgment. Other, other pursuits are the same, but like we, we keep score generally as opposed yeah. to, I don't know, music, you don't keep score in the same way. <laughs> but, you know, no offense to my music people out there, but you, you, I think you see where I'm going with this. Yeah, but, yeah. But where, where I'm going with that in general is like, 
you know, let, let's bring this down a little bit more concretely and back into your story. Like Certainly. a lot of people who start in, you know, trying to just fix a relationship or fix or start a business or like, you know, change career paths. Like mm-hmm. everyone's scared of failure and scared of change, right? Yeah. So one of the things I try and do on this show is, is to normalize that because we've all gone through serious ups and downs and sideways and lefts and right. So can you tell us uh, an example of a failure that you've experienced <laughs> on your path and then what you learned from it? Yeah, um, I can. <laughs> yeah, the, so the biggest one that comes to my mind, I, I work with a lot of blended families. The, the single biggest failure that comes to my mind was my first marriage. I look back at that and I realize that a large part of why that marriage ended was because of mistakes that I had made whether it was specific individual actions or whether it was just a whole attitude or mindset related to marriage that was inaccurate or insufficient or whatever it may have been, I realized that a lot of the problems that led to the divorce were, were me. And so that means now that I'm remarried, I have two options. One, I can try to prove myself right by doing the same stuff that led to a divorce last time, or I can admit that I was wrong, learn from those mistakes, and try to do a better job as a husband now i'm also learning the same kind of thing as a parent um when my kids were younger there were plenty of times when i was harsher on them than i should have been i've got again i had, i've got two girls they're 13 and 16 almost now when they were little i didn't understand how sensitive little girls were i'd never been one i'd never really been around them i still don't get them i'm 37 years old i still don't understand females at all <laughs> right um, I had a whole conversation about that with a, on, a, on a, a different podcast not long ago. The guy that was interviewing me and I just went back and forth about dumb guy mistakes we had made because we don't understand women. It was, we had a good time with that. Um, it was, and I'm sure every guy listening can identify the kind of nodding their head. Yeah, going, yeah, I, I'm, their yeah head, yep. <laughs> we could all tell stories about stupid stuff we did because we're guys. Um, but I, I didn't understand how much hurt and damage that caused my daughters. And so now what I'm trying to do is one, understand them better. And two, learn how to be a better father in relation to them. And again, that, that means I'm having to do a lot more listening, which is not necessarily my strong suit. As a teacher, I'm used to being doing a lot of the talking as opposed yeah. to a lot of the listening. And I'm used to being the authority giving instructions instead of the guy who's having to go, so what do you think about this? Right? That's, it's yeah. different. But, you know, my kids are getting older, 13 and 16. Like, I need to try to understand them a lot more than I need to be enforcing my views on them. And it's, it really has taken me years to understand that. And so those are two, two giant failures that I've, I'm continuing to learn from. In terms of my business, I would say the biggest failure that I've had so far is just a lack of focus. I was trying to do too many things at one time instead of choosing one thing to focus on and give it 60 or 90 or 120 days and say, okay, is this working? Instead mm-hmm. of giving it a week and then going, but I could also add this other thing and this would be great if I added this other thing and now it's been 90 days and I've accomplished nothing because I've been pinging around between three different focuses, right? And so uh, that's, that's a big business failure that I had when I first started out on my own was what am I actually trying to do? Am I, am I trying to speak? Am I trying to write? Am I trying to coach? Am I trying to create online courses? Am I trying, what, you, yep. you, you can do all of it, sure, but you can't do all of it at the same time at the very beginning. Right. You well just can't, said, you, you can't do that. And I, I learned that from a, a speaker program that I'm in. A guy named Grant Baldwin has a, a, something called the speaker lab. And he says that over and over and over in his podcast and in his training, you can't do all of it at the same time. Mm-hmm. You can do all those things, but you can't do them all at, at the very beginning. There's just not enough time in the day. You're not going to be good at any of them because you're trying to do too much. 
Um, and so again, that's, that's one of the big things I've learned about business for me is I've got to get, I've got to get more focused. And to kind of tie a bow on all this, like what we were talking about earlier, like you, you had a marriage that, that did not uh, mm-hmm. succeed. You guys, you guys split up and, and it sounds like you were, you were working through all of the stuff that had happened then. Like you could have easily, like we talked about before, put labels on that and put judgment on it and said, I, you know, I failed. I, I didn't raise my daughters very well. I must be a bad father and bad husband. And therefore I'm never going to do this ever again. Yeah. Right. But yet here you are. And that would have put you in a totally different trajectory than, yeah. than what you are. Like so the suspension of judgment and the just ob- observance of what is like, it is what it is. Right. What yeah. you said earlier. And that's really, really hard. And I don't want to downplay the fact that it's hard to like withdraw your emotion from the situation. We've yeah, all it's, not, it's not fun. It's not easy. Charged moments. But it's, <laughs> it's a, um, I mean, it's awesome to see the result of that on the other side because I think you're, you're a great testament to it. And uh, this, is, this is exactly what we've been talking about for the last 20 minutes is like that, that suspension of judgment and, and mm-hmm. just kind of observance of what is and then trying to move yourself forward strategically from there like clearly it can it can lead you down a path that is pretty exciting and and doing a lot of the cool things that you're doing now yeah it is and again it's something that uh like you mentioned it's um it's not easy in those moments um i can i can remember kind of the day where i sort of i felt like i hit personal life rock bottom um because i'd gone through divorce um my ex-wife had um uh custody control of our kids I had uh, gone through bankruptcy. I'd gone through foreclosure. Um, I'd gotten out of teaching for a while. Uh, when, I, when I went through divorce, I stopped teaching for a couple of years. So I was having to work a bunch of jobs I didn't like and paying child support and trying to figure out what I was going to do with the rest of my life. And I realized that what I had been doing for the previous six months or a year is just allowing myself to be a victim. Mm-hmm. And as long as I was in that victimhood mentality, I couldn't make any changes because I was, I was thinking that – this was unfair what was happening to me. And when I started taking responsibility and saying, okay, whether or not it was fair, at least a large part of the reason why I'm here is because of the decisions that I made. So as soon as I start taking responsibility, that empowers me to then change where I go from here. Now that I know it's up to me, I can make things different. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to get everything my way, (laughs) right? But it does mean that I can at least make positive changes that will impact the rest of my life. And, and so that was a big moment for me is realizing the difference between being a victim or being a victor. That is, am I going to let my circumstances control me or am I going to take responsibility and therefore have much more of control over the outcome of my circumstances moving forward? And that's one of the big messages that I like to share uh, with other people is how you tell your story to yourself and to others shapes a lot of what you're going to become uh, in the future, Right. That is the, the, how you tell your story or the stories we tell ourselves shape who we become because that's a lot of that internal or that self-talk. Again, if you're constantly talking down to yourself, yeah, that imposter syndrome is going to get a hold of you and hang on because you're telling yourself you're bad at it. But if you can remind yourself, no, they picked me for a reason or I am here because I deserve to be. I'm here because I put in the hard work. Like, that's, that's much more powerful. So again, the, the stories that we tell ourselves shape who and what we become in the future. And that was, again, that was a powerful lesson that I learned. And thank you for sharing all that. And we could, man, we could go for another couple of hours on this, but I do want to respect the rest of your day and, you know, make sure we, we keep uh, respect to the audience's time as well. But I want to transition us to the focus five, which is the last mm-hmm. five questions I ask every guest on every show. Are you ready? 
Yep, let's bring them. First question, and this could be your own, but what book have you gifted most often? Um, definitely my own is the one that I've gifted most often. The other one that I've gifted a whole lot um, in terms of business stuff is a book called The Go-Giver uh, by mm -hmm. Bob Berg and John David Mann. Some of your listeners, I'm sure, are very familiar with it. It's excellent. Um, the other one that I'm reading right now that was gifted to me is uh, Rise and Grind. Uh, by Damon John, the, the Shark Tank guy. I'm really enjoying that one as well. Fantastic. All great options. If you could get an hour of somebody's time, past or present, live or dead, and ask as many questions as you wanted, who would that be and why? It would be a toss-up between J.R.R. Tolkien, author of Lord of the Rings, and C.S. Lewis, author of Mere Christianity and the Chronicles of Narnia, because those books have shaped my life more than anything else they've shaped my life more than any music or movie or um and so uh, a large part of who i am as a human being is due to their writing and so i would love to just sit down and have a dinner conversation with them and just ask them more about how it is they created these worlds that have shaped a lot of, of how i think and how i respond to things around me so i'd love to has nothing to do with business sorry but i love i love those books i love those guys i'd love to talk with them those are, those are fantastic answers. Uh, no one's actually ever given those and definitely not for those reasons. So thank you. Uh, what is one thing that you believe most people would disagree with you on? I would argue, or I, I think most people would disagree with me on the fact that I believe um, the most important thing we can do to better understand our future is to understand our past. And I get that I'm biased because I'm a history teacher, but I also believe that many of this, the mistakes that we make, we could avoid if we just learn from the past and realize other people have already tried that. It didn't work for them. It's not going to work for you either. Stop doing that. Let's try something else. Well said, man. I was going to say my dad was a history teacher and I think yes. that I, I, can't, I can't, or not a history teacher, history major. Well, okay. He was an attorney, yep. but, I, nice. but I, he could have been a history teacher, man. That guy, he knows so much stuff about American and world yep. history. It's crazy. Good, Anyways, good. <laughs> uh, give us a glimpse of your morning routine. How do you start your day? Uh, I get up about 5.15 and uh, start my day with some Bible reading and prayer. And then after that, I try to get a little bit of work done. Again, those little pockets, typically from about 5.30 until 6 or 6.15, I'll sit down and get work done. Uh, right now, I'm working on writing a blended family devotional, so I, I work on that in the mornings. Um, about 6.15 to 6.30, I'm getting dressed and ready for school. I normally leave for school at about 6.45, and then I have my morning commute. And the morning commute is spent listening to podcasts like this or audiobooks, things like that. They're going to help me either personally or professionally. And then right before I get to school, I normally crank on some music to help me get in the, mind, the sort of mindset for teaching my classes that day. So. Uh, but that's a lot of my morning routine right there. Some, some, again, some Bible reading, some prayer, get some work done, listen to things that are going to help me become better than I am today. Right on. What is the best place that we can connect with you online? Uh, definitely come by my websites, um, joelwhallbaker.com for the speaking, real life leading for the leadership, and stepdadding with an ing, stepdadding.com for the blended family information. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn under my name, Joel W. Hallbaker. Facebook's where I'm most active because I'm of that generation, uh, but I'm learning Twitter and LinkedIn a little bit as well. I'm not cool enough for Instagram, sorry. Right on. I, I don't think I'm photogenic enough to be part of that. My <laughs> wife is, but I'm not. 
Uh, we will go ahead and link to all of that down in the show notes, guys. If you want to connect with Joel, the show notes is a place to do that. Joel, man, thank you so much for for being on the show today, being part of the podcast, and bringing all the value. You've, you, I, I really like the conversation where we took it, and I and I'm sure the audience will get a lot out of it. So thank you. Yeah, listen, it's been my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on. And I would love to connect with your audience, anybody that's got any questions, um, or if they just want to talk about whatever it may be, I would love to connect with them. So thank you again for, for letting me come on here and chat with you today. I really appreciate it. And that does it for another episode, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. It really, really appreciate it. Uh, if you want to connect with Joel, I got all his social stuff, his website, everything down in the show notes. I know he would love to connect with listeners, um, just get some feedback, just generally get some good connections out of it. So if you resonated with him at all, head down into the show notes, uh, check out his social stuff and uh, give him a like and a comment on what he's putting out. It's some uh, really good and inspirational stuff. And while you're down there, I've got my Calendly link. As always, I'd love to connect with you personally just to get to know you a little better and figure out how to keep improving the show because um, I want to make sure I'm providing value to you, the listener. Uh, so hopefully... Uh, we connect soon. And if you, of course, are getting value out of this, but you don't have time for a quick chat yet, um, head over to iTunes, leave me a rating and review because that helps the show grow and gives me critical feedback because I do actually read all of those. So um, thank you so much in advance. And I'm going to sign it off. So this is Hans Strazina, host of Another Way to Play. And remember to make every chapter better than the last. Thanks for joining in for this episode of Another Way to Play, making the next chapter of your life better than your last. For more insights and inspiration to help you make that personal leap, be sure to engage with Hans on social media and get your questions answered right here on the show. Reach out to Hans at Chief SNAH on Instagram, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Another Way to Play.